0: Welcome to Dreamful Podcast, bedtime stories for slumber. I would like to start off this episode by thanking our newest Patreon supporters, Ishaan and Anisa Patel, and Cecily Brown. Thank you so much for your contribution to the show, and I hope you all have the sweetest of dreams. If you would like to be just like these amazing people, visit our new website, dreamfulstories.com, where you can find episodes, merch, info about the show, and links to our Patreon page for bonus content. The story in this episode is the British legend of King Arthur. So, snuggle up in your blankets and have sweet many years ago, there ruled over Britain a king called Uther Pendragon. A mighty prince was he, and feared by all men, yet when he sought the love of the fair Egraine of Cornwall, she would have naught to do with him, so that, from grief and disappointment, Uther fell sick, and at last seemed likely to die. Now, in those days, there lived a famous magician named Merlin, so powerful that he could change his form at will, or even make himself invisible. Nor was there any place so remote that he could not reach it at once, merely by wishing himself there. One day, suddenly he stood at Uther's bedside and said, Sir King, I know your grief and am ready to help you, only promise to give me, at his birth, the son that shall be born to you, and you shall have your heart's desire." To this the king agreed joyfully, and Merlin kept his word, for he gave Uther the form of one whom Igraine had loved dearly, and so she took him willingly for her husband. When the time had come that a child should be born to the king and queen, Merlin appeared before Uther to remind him of his promise. And Uther swore it should be as he said. Three days later, a prince was born, and with pomp and ceremony was christened by the name of Arthur. But immediately thereafter, the king commanded that the child should be carried to the postern gate there to be given to the old man who would be found waiting without. Not long after, Uther fell sick, and he knew that his end was come. So, by Merlin's advice, he called together his knights and barons, and said to them, My death draws near. I charge you, therefore, that you obey my son, even as you have obeyed me and my curse upon him if he claim not the crown when he is a grown man. Then the king turned his face to the wall and died. Scarcely was Uther laid in his grave before disputes arose. Few of the nobles had seen Arthur, or even heard of him, and not one of them would have been willing to be ruled by a child. Rather, each thought himself fitted to be king, and strengthening his own castle, made war on his neighbors until confusion alone was supreme, and the poor groaned because there was none to help them. Now when Merlin carried away Arthur, for Merlin was the old man who had stood at the postern gate, he had known all that would happen, and he had taken the child to keep him safe from the fierce barons, until he should be of age to rule wisely and well, and perform all of the wonders prophesied of him. He gave the child to the care of the good knight, Sir Ector, to bring up with his son Kay, but reveal not to him that it was the son of Uther Pendragon that was given into his charge. At last, when years had passed and Arthur was grown a tall youth well-skilled in knightly exercises, Merlin went to the Archbishop of Canterbury, and advised him that he should call together at Christmas time all the chief men of the realm to the great cathedral in London. For, said Merlin, there shall be a scene a great marvel by which it shall be made clear to all men who is the lawful king of this land. The Archbishop did as Merlin counseled, under pain of a fearful curse, He bade the barons and knights come to London to keep the feast, and to pray heaven to send peace to the realm. The people hastened to obey the archbishop's commands, and, from all sides, barons and knights came riding in to keep the birth feast of our Lord. And when they had prayed, and were coming forth from the cathedral, they saw a strange sight. There, in the open space before the church, Stood on a great stone, an anvil thrust through with a sword. And on the stone were written these words. Whoso can draw forth this sword is rightful king of Britain born. At once there were fierce quarrels, each man clamoring to be the first to try his fortune. None doubting his success. Then the Archbishop decreed that each should make the venture in turn from the greatest baron to the least knight. And each in turn, having put forth his utmost strength, failed to move the sword one inch, and drew back ashamed. So the Archbishop dismissed the company, and having appointed guards to watch over the stone, sent messengers through all the land, to give word of great jousts to be held in London at Easter, when each knight could give proof of his skill and courage, and try whether the adventure of the sword was for him. Among those who rode to London at Easter was the good Sir Ector, and with him his son, Sir Kay, newly made a knight, and the young Arthur. When the morning came that the joust should begin, Sir Kay and Arthur mounted their horses and set out for the lists. But before they reached the field, Kay looked and saw that he had left his sword behind. Immediately Arthur turned back to fetch it for him, only to find the house fast shut, for all were gone to view the tournament. Sore vexed was Arthur, fearing lest his brother Kay should lose his chance of gaining glory, till, all of a sudden, he thought of the sword in the great anvil before the cathedral. He rode with all speed, and the guards having deserted their posts to view the tournament, There was none to forbid him the adventure. He leapt from his horse, seized the hilt, and instantly drew forth the sword as easily as from a scabbard. Then, mounting his horse and thinking no marvel of what he had done, he rode after his brother and handed him the weapon. When Kay looked at it, he saw at once that it was the wondrous sword from the stone. In great joy he sought his father, and showing it to him, said, Then I must be king of Britain. But Sir Ector bade him say how he came by the sword, and when Sir Kay told how Arthur had brought it to him, Sir Ector bent his knee to the boy and said, Sir, I believe that you are my king, and here I tender you my homage. And Kay did as his father. Then the three sought the archbishop, to whom they related all that had happened. And he, much marveling, called the people together to the great stone, and bade Arthur thrust back the sword and draw it forth again in the presence of all, which he did with ease. But an angry murmur rose from the barons, who cried that what a boy could do, a man could do. So, at the archbishop's word, the sword was put back, and each man, whether a baron or knight, tried his turn to draw it forth, and failed. Then, for the third time, Arthur drew forth his sword. Immediately there arose from the people a great shout, Arthur is king. And though the great baron scowled and threatened, they fell on their knees before him, while the archbishop placed the crown upon his head, and swore to obey him faithfully as their lord and sovereign. Thus Arthur was made king, and to all he did justice, righting wrongs and giving to all their dues. Nor was he forgetful of those that had been his friends, for Kay, whom he loved as a brother, he made Seneschal and chief of his household. And to Sir Ector, his foster father, he gave broad lands, Thus, Arthur was made king, and he set himself to restore order throughout his kingdom. To all who would submit and amend their evil ways, he showed kindness. But to those who persisted in oppression and wrong, he removed, putting in their places others who would deal justly with the people. And because the lands had become overrun with forests, during the days of misrule he cut roads through the thickets that no longer wild beasts and men fiercer than the beasts should lurk in their gloom to the harm of the weak and defenseless thus it came to pass that soon the peasant plowed his fields in safety and where had been waste men dwelt again in peace and prosperity Among the lesser kings whom Arthur helped to rebuild their towns and restore order was King Leodegrance of Cameliard. Now Leodegrance had one fair child, his daughter Guinevere, and from the first he saw her, Arthur gave her all his love. So he sought counsel of Merlin, his chief advisor. Merlin heard the king sorrowfully, and he said, "Sir King when a man's heart is set, he may not change. Yet had it been well, if you had loved another. So the king sent his knights to Leodegrance to ask of him, his daughter. And Leodegrance consented, rejoicing to wed her to so good and knightly a king. With great pomp the princess was conducted to Canterbury and they too were wed by the Archbishop in the great cathedral amid the rejoicings of the people. On that same day did Arthur found his Order of the Round Table, the fame of which was to spread throughout Christendom and endure through all time. Now the Round Table had been made for King Uther Pendragon by Merlin, who had meant thereby to set forth plainly to all men the roundness of the earth. After Uther died, King Leodegrance had possessed it, but when Arthur was wed, he sent it to him as a gift, and great was the king's joy at receiving it. One hundred and fifty knights might take their places about it, and for them Merlin made seats, One hundred and twenty-eight did Arthur Knight at that great feast. Thereafter, if any seats were empty, at the High Festival of Pentecost new knights were ordained to fill them, and by magic was the name of each knight found inscribed in letters of gold in his proper seat. One seat only long remained unoccupied, and that was the Siege Perilous no knight may occupy it until the coming of Sir Galahad. For without danger to his life, none might sit there who was not free from all stain of sin. With pomp and ceremony did each knight take upon him the vows of true knighthood, to obey the king, to show mercy to all who asked it, to defend the weak, and for no worldly gain to fight in a wrongful cause. And all the knights rejoiced together, doing honor to Arthur and to his queen. Then they rode forth to right the wrong and help the oppressed. And by their aid the king held his realm in peace, doing justice to all.